call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 55 of Call It Friend of the podcast where two friends watch a film decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Donica Tiernan watch the 1972 disaster film The Poseidon Adventure. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend or Podcast. Drop us a line there with any feedback or recommendations. Apologies for some weird reverb in the voices this week. We have sacrificed our audio engineer. And just remember, there's got to be a morning after. There's got to be a morning after. If we can hold. So, it is episode 55 Fucking of Call of Friendo. Can you believe 55. it? 55. I, I can, yeah. We're going to be talking about the 1972 film, The Poseidon Adventure. Indeed, yeah. Gene Thanks Hackman a plays a priest. That. That's what I heard. Oh, do you know, it had been so long, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> Wait, did you watch the episode? No. no. I don't remember any of the other lines from Speed 3. Well, I mean, Speed 3 has got Pat Mustard. Well, I remember all those lines. You have to get up awful early in the morning to catch me, Father. Awful early in the morning. Mr. Mustard was just... Uh, it, it, he, he was wondering, could he put his enormous tool in my box? What? There's no room for it on the milk floor, I'm afraid. <laughs> the police are after me. <laughs> they want to lock me up on account of I'm so gorgeous. You have to do the... Do the <laughs> laugh. I've had to be yanking myself around the clock because I can't, <laughs> I can't get, get any proper, proper sex with, with girls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have watched it enough times. All right, fair enough, yeah. Can I just ask, a bit, uh, well, I, we're going to do what we've been watching, but I just want to mm. check because I suspect that this is the case. Go on. You chose the Poseidon Adventure largely because of that episode of Father Ted and that was in your head. Yes. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. Well, that's a good reason, to, as good a reason to choose a film as any, isn't it? Fair play. Yeah. Anyway, what have we been watching this week? You uh, go first. Will I go first? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I watched David Lowry's uh, new movie, The Green Knight, with uh, Dev Patel and um, Alicia Vikander and a few mm. other people. I, you know Who else is in it? Um, uh, Sean Harris, but playing a good guy. Okay. Well, Which he's really good at. Sean is Harris he is a great wearing actor. wearing a mask or something? No, he's no, got no. Bad guy he does face. have a creepy face, yes. Uh, but he's really good in it. Everyone's really good in it. Honestly, it's a really good film and it's made me want to... Okay, so I watched... I've only seen two other David Lowry films. Or, I mean, he's probably only made five films, so I've actually seen more than half his films. But anyway, I saw The Old Man and the Gun, the Robert Redford one, which is a breezy, fun old yarn. Apparently, it's kind of based on a true story, like an um, uh, 80-year-old bank robber. It was basically, and he was a charming fellow, whatever. It's got Robert Redford. It's got Casey Affleck, right? So. Huh? It's got Casey Affleck in it, isn't it? Uh, I believe so. I think he's trailing him. It's been a few years. It's a very, I thought it was a very forget, he, he often works with movie. Casey Affleck. Hmm? He often works with Casey Affleck. You, uh, three times, by my count, anyway. Yeah, so I had seen that, but I had also seen uh, his film, um, A Ghost Story, which I, I fucking hated. I just thought it was just a, like... I'm fine with pretentious if it gets it done. You know what I mean? A bit of a Leos Carax, that kind of shit. Mm. But when pretentious misses the mark, it's really painful. And I mean, for those who don't know, a ghost story, the premise is basically, yeah, uh, Rooney Mara is married to Casey Affleck. 
uh, near the start he dies and then he haunts her unknown to her for the rest of the movie and it's just him in a sheet right? in a sheet yeah and he's I've, I've flicked through that film it looks like it mostly takes place in that one location but well, then it, does, it yeah, it's expands about a house. out like in a crazy way as well right because she leaves and yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and it, 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 i, I mean, flicked through it it looked interesting but yeah it does look incredibly pretentious t- but you know what uh, the Green Knight is pretty pretentious, but I really, so I really liked it. And it made me want to go back and watch a ghost story. So it's based on the Arthurian legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It does this really interesting thing, which is that it's based in Storyland. So, you know, they like everybody can do their whole Shakespeare and the park intense acting. Everything looks beautiful, like a storybook illustration. They take full advantage of the aesthetics that are allowed them by o- acknowledging that it's fiction do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like they never go for the real life thing it's just not real life it's a parable of some sort and it's really really good for that and so the story of it is um so dev patel he plays uh, sir gawain who's the nephew of king arthur not a knight at the start of the story he gets invited to uh, the round table for christmas celebrations and then this green knight comes in and says oi uh, any of you guys uh, can, like, you know, challenge me in a fight and uh, do whatever, and then um, next year you're going to have to come to where I'm at, which is a chapel up north, a green chapel, and I'm allowed to do the same thing to you. So Gawain jumps up and goes, fuck yeah, I'm in for that, and he chops his head off. Then the guy just picks up his head and walks out, and it's like, oh, shit. The year passes very quickly, and most of the film is his six-day journey north to the chapel, which is very episodic. It's got Barry Keown in it, who's oh, brilliant. Nice. Really just goes for it on big themes, um, sort of, you know, mortality and uh, ceremony and what's actually important in life. And it's kind of like, the way I thought about it was like, it's like David Byrne. You could definitely say David Byrne is pretentious makes pretentious music, but it's also just excellent and of a really high quality. And I think that's what The Green Knight is. I thought it was fucking brilliant. Uh, Blew me away. Um, It's about two hours long. It looks just completely sumptuous. It's just out on Amazon. And uh, I would really, really recommend everybody, including you, check it out. I've been meaning to watch it for a long time. I just haven't psyched myself up for it yet. It's great. I'll check it out. Mm. I, I like the idea of David Lowry's films. I wanted to watch his version of Peach Dragon. Yeah, me too. Which again, still haven't got around to. And he's working with Disney again now. He's making Peter and yeah, Wendy. Yeah, Peter and Wendy. Mm. Yeah, which I believe is like a Sid and Nancy sequel. <laughs> Let's see how that works out. Anything else? Uh, yeah, I ha- <laughs> for something that I didn't actually enjoy that much. It's odd, but I watched uh, Dave Chappelle's new special, uh, The Closer, uh, twice in the last two weeks. Uh, is there any reason why it's called The Closer? Yeah, he's seems he's very um, frank about the fact that this will probably be his last thing for a good while. Oh. Um, this was like his last Netflix one as well, a yeah. big deal he signed, right? Yeah, and of course, based on the content of this particular special, a lot of like employees walked out of Netflix and all, all sorts of crack. Um, uh, his response to that was actually funnier than anything in the current special, which is like, okay, if you want to come talk to me, you've got to first of all watch the special and second of all admit that Hannah Gatsby isn't funny which I thought was was funny in itself but most of the special is more like a kind of a TED talk 
just saying he's, you know, sick of people getting held hostage by the trans community. It feels like him and Hannah Gadsby are essentially the same person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to do, flip sides of the same, we both sides of the same kind. But this is it. It's like, it's interesting, but like interesting uh, more in a Hannah Gadsby way than yeah. in a, oh, <laughs> what Dave Chappelle used to be kind of way. Because Dave Chappelle used to be fucking hilarious. Like really just like, and a really sort of a unique comedy voice. Uh, the best part of the special for me is the fact that he dedicated it to Norm Macdonald. I like that. That's nice. Mm. Uh, but I was just fascinated by it because it's more of a kind of a ranty TED talk. And he's very, very charismatic and a very good speaker. Um, so it is very compelling and watchable. But it's if this is like the last thing he does for a good while or even, I don't know, ever. I mean, it's an odd misfire. But I suppose the thing is as well. The, and this is a real thing how funny can you be when you get that famous yeah i guess we could ask our good friend michelle wolf we his could good, his friend friend of dave Chappelle. We that's could ask right enemy of the show happens. michelle wolf yeah, yeah we could ask her i don't know I, I think it's good that you don't have to be funny in stand-up comedy anymore that's why <laughs> that's why i got back into it i was like all right there's no pressure you that's could just, why you just need to talk. died he's yeah, just he's like, like oh, oh what you don't oh, need me anymore all right funny. bye-bye yeah, all you need to do is talk for a bit yeah, it's yeah. Great. this is it yeah 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 but anyway those and i've been uh, keeping on with uh, apple's foundation which i'll pro i'll fill you in at the when i'm finished watching that what have you been watching well, I went to the cinema and I watched The Last Duel, the oh, new Ridley Scott film. Yeah, I'm, I, I really want to see this and I really want to hear what you thought of it first. I, I know much, a little bit about it. Yeah, how, tell me what you know about it. Let's I know it's got vague kind of, spoilers for, for this a little bit. Well, it's based on a true least. story. Uh, yes, Francis, so spoilers for life. France's uh, last uh, trial by combat. Um, basically, you got uh, two mates... <laughs> Two mates, uh, Matt Damon and Adam Driver. I'm gonna say, yeah, they're and, they're, uh, they're not so matey in the film. They're they're matey in, in parts, I guess. Um, they have a shared history. Well, anyway, they uh, Adam Driver uh, rapes his wife. That's correct. And uh, it comes down to a trial by combat. Yes. And then the film is told with the uh, uh, Rashomon structure, where everybody's exactly. telling their own version of it. And in an unusual move, I believe that the three different versions of the story were each written by different people. Allegedly, yeah. So it's the lady's perspective. It's written uh, by a lady, written, right? Yeah, Nicole Holofcener. And then Affleck, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wrote the other two, allegedly. Although Affleck plays... Uh, I hear he has a great time in it. Affleck is really really funny he yeah. steals the show he's I've got, he's great, got yeah. dyed blonde hair and like a blonde beard he looks like he should be at like you know woodstock 99 <laughs> watching <laughs> limbiscuit it's funny but like so it, it's split you've got like you said you've got that kind of rashomon three different versions of the same events kind of but so first it's matt uh matt damon's character and his is like really dour he it feels like he thinks he's in some kind of like I don't know, some other Ridley Scott epic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, that's the other thing I've heard about it. I've heard this is not the Ridley Scott medieval movie you're expecting. No, no, no. But the first 45 minutes are. It is from like from his point of view, it is that. Mm. But then you get Adam Drivers and that's when the, that's fun. That's when the fun starts. It's also incredibly fucked up, but it's like it is funny, too. It's funny for some of the things. Yeah, I've, that I've, I've, I've heard in a review uh, almost as a trigger warning that you have to watch the same rape scene twice. You do. You do. And then so the final uh, point of view is Jodie Comer's character. And uh, yeah, as you say, you is she see, good in it? She is. She's very, very I good. I think she's, she's brilliant. Good. Her and Driver are great, but Affleck like, steals the show because he's the fun. He's fun. He's fun. He's from. 
He's he, so it it's a very modern Me Too story that's been transported back to the 14th mm. century setting. Such and an odd uh, choice for Ridley fucking Scott, isn't it? It is, it is a weird choice, but like if you see the scale of the film, it looks beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, filmed largely I in can Ireland and France. All these. I'd like to see how it was made. Actually, I'd like to see exactly what is like CGI and what was really there because the scale of the film is is insane. Well, he and it cost a uh, hundred million dollars, and it's it's bombed horribly. Has it? Yes, hundred million. Jesus. He is famous for um, being good at uh, using special effects subtly. That, yeah. That's a big, a, a big game plan for him and has been for mm-hmm. years, um, even from the likes of Blade Runner and going up to Gladiator. Like yeah, in Gladiator, yeah. the Colosseum was actually like about two stories high. Yeah. Stuff like that, and you never really clock it. The reason that this film works and is interesting is because, like you say, you see, the se- you see the same rape scene twice, mm. but it's never disputed. There's nothing, it isn't like, oh, like, did this happen? From both points of view, yeah, it, it is like a brutal rape. But Adam Driver saying it's okay. Ad, yeah, essentially, yeah. It's, it's, so it's kind of, it's just, it's kind of analyzing, like, it's so, it's, mod, modern Me Too worlds, but like looking at it through the lens of like shit that, that has gone on for centuries. It is really interesting. It sounds really interesting. I really want to see it. It is, it's worthwhile. Bradshaw, our friend Peter Bradshaw gave it three stars. But I would say it's better than that. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I'd go four. I'd go four stars on this one. I'm hearing a lot of uh, four or fives on it um, from yeah. the places I get my reviews. Yeah. It's, they, they make a, an interesting choice because it, it's each of the three stories is the truth according to that character. Mm. But in the third story, they kind of flash on the words, the truth. So that they're like, this point of view is the truth. And it functions, I guess. You've got the, the female character is just good in every aspect mm. she's pure she's like she's hot ca- she she's just she's like good at running the uh house <laughs> like everything like she's just she's just good at everything yeah, yeah. she's just like this good and all the men are just utter shite yeah, bags yeah. <laughs> but, I, but i like the, the, that kind of <laughs> idea i mean that actually t- utter like, shite bags but i mean it, it like works for like telling the story I, I like i think if you could tell a story with all your characters being archetypes and it works i have loads of fun with that i don't mind it it's that's very much like the green knight it's like this is fiction except yeah yeah, yeah. Except I th- this I isn't fiction it, i think that i think it's trying to do the same thing there's zero nuance in this film mm. it's not aiming for nuance no. it's like it's just the this this is the case and this is you know I I think it's I think it's an interesting film. I think maybe it's it's possible that Scott should get more credit for making movies like that because if you think like think about I mean the best example off the top of my head I suppose although Gladiator would be the best one off the top of my head like there's like here's your hero here's the horrible villain who wants to fuck his sister and kill his father go to work you know what I mean yeah yeah so that was it i recommend the last duel because you know no one's gonna watch it so <laughs> i'm looking forward to seeing it to watch it it's 153 minutes but uh yeah it, it moves along it's mm. fine even though you're seeing uh, you're seeing things from different points of view and sometimes that can be really fun to see because you see it from one po- <laughs> the way that one character views it and then you see some other point of view you're like okay that that, that makes more sense and this is a cinema only <laughs> release is it uh, I don't know if it's uh, available on the old blockbuster, but I, I saw it in the cinema. We've toyed with uh, this idea before, but I would like to dump a little bit of movie news in before we move on. Or okay. have you got something else you've been watching? Well, I'm just I'm I'm into season three of The Wire now. I finished season two. I'm gonna I'm gonna go oh, th- all the way through. I'm gonna let's talk season two. So 
my favorite season. How'd you get on with it? Yeah, I thought it was good. There's some uh, some of the dialogue is a bit ropey. Mm, you it, said it, that, yeah. It actually moves completely differently. To it's weird because it's only like twelve episodes, and it's got a very nice tight arc for the Sabadka clan. I feel I it like does, I, I, I thought that was like fucking Shakespearean. Yeah, eh. but it's 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 interesting because it's like I said before, it's probably like the fourth time that I've seen it, and there's. Just, uh, there's certain things that, like, you're kind of shocked. You're like, wow, that only appeared in episode six or seven. Mm. You know, the the way that the wire is kind of all tied together is... It's, season three, it's season two has uh, Omar in court, doesn't it? It does, yeah, 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 that's quite early on. Sorry, guys, spoilers for uh, the wire season two, but, I mean, there's a couple of moments that are, like, uh, the death of Frank Sabatka is mm-hmm. a fucking gut punch. That's a, a... But, I mean, I just think this scene is incredible. You know when um, Ziggy just flips out and shoots yeah, the guy? Yeah, shoots Glicus. It's fucking... That's, that's incredible. And you know it's coming the whole way. And the idea... Like, that is pure... That is pure fucking Shakespeare, that Frank Sabatka mm-hmm. would have a son like that and a nephew like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm started season three and... Uh, Hamsterdam. It's looking good. Well, yeah. I've, I'm only one episode in so far. There's no Hamsterdam yet, but they've already... They introduced Marlo, Kati... So mm, all kinds oh, yeah. of players are on the board now from the start of season three. So, so is, is season near the end of season three is one of my favorite uh, wire moments. Rawls is it Rawls at the Rawls is in the gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> Rawls is the white guy. Yeah, yeah. These are for you, McNulty. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. You yeah. Have my attention. When Rawls is uh, dismissing Bunny Coleman, and Bunny Coleman goes, "Get on with it, motherfucker!" And he goes, "Excuse <laughs> me." Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Get on with a motherfucker. Rawls um, Rawls uh, sucks cock. That's, uh, yes, that's what we learned. That's what we learned. That's uh, that. that <laughs> has hasn't has that been yet. in yet? No, no, that, that hasn't happened. That's yet. such a wonderful Lanceman little just moment, laughing, isn't it? Going, ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll dump uh, the movie news. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. Go. Dune Part Two. Greenlit. Dune Part Two. You, you know about this? I heard about this. Yeah, I heard it made enough money to. Oh to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh. It's. Uh, I did not think this would be happening. <laughs> I really didn't. Well, is it going to be twenty twenty three? I assume. Uh, they're, yeah, they're going to be shooting next year. Right. And Denny Villeneuve is already saying, uh, "Yeah, yeah." And by the way, I want to make three, so yeah. he wants to film Dune Messiah. So uh, that's pretty exciting. That is exciting. But now we just need to wait another two years until it all comes together. But thankfully, time moves so quickly that I'll just be like a second and it'll be done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for that. But uh, it's crazy. It almost shouldn't be happening that they're making this movie. But it's been successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made He made the money. He I did. think it probably worked the way that they staggered it. The staggered it release, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Seems like, it's good to see as well, because it's like, it's kind of like, as opposed to something like, okay, the other movies that were supposed to save cinema, uh, I'm not saying Dune saved cinema, but the other ones like Tenet, yeah, good mm-hmm. luck, thanks, uh, No Time to Die, like, it's done very well, but I mean, it's kind of shit, as we've discussed yeah. on here, and I know, okay, fair enough, you weren't as big of a fan of, on uh, Dune as I was. But uh, I'd, I'd like I, to rewatch it eventually. I think it is completely inarguable that um, of those three films, that Dune is the most cinematic. And dem- I'd like to see Dune when it's part of a two or three film mm. story. I think they'll work. I think it'll be stronger when it's part of something bigger. Cool beans. So, uh, and uh, speaking of uh, things that uh, pass for cinematic, what about things that used to pass for cinematic? What did you make of the Poseidon Adventure? Gene Hackman plays a priest. I think I'd seen this 
potentially. I, I knew a lot of the story beats. I think I watched this maybe on TV back in the 90s. For the first hour, I was kind of annoyed that I had to watch it. Oh, really? You didn't enjoy it? The first hour. Okay. I didn't really like the first hour. I re- like the second half of the film, uh, by the time that uh, Mrs. Rosen goes swimming underwater and that type of that then you're part, in. from there on, yeah, from that to the end, I'm really, I was fully in, in to the film. I, I was fully on board with everything that happened from that point onwards. It opens with a miniature. Uh, well, actually, no, it opens with a Fargo-type title card that kind of claims the story is true, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but it opens with a miniature. And I think that can almost explain the type of film it is and why they don't make it anymore, except when they do and it works then. Which is that if they wanted to make a disaster movie, miniature was their only option. So they yeah, couldn't yeah. show their main characters in big expansive action scenes Mm -hmm. so they had to fill it with character moments and and characters they had to design characters and in a is in a disaster movie you need kind of archetypes now i I think the miniatures in this are fine and loads of great movies use miniatures as well but it's just like i haven't seen the the newer poseidon adventure but i presume it's got ape shit loads of wide shot cg um, you mean the uh, Wolfgang Peterson one from 2006? Was it Wolfgang Peterson? Then it definitely does. There's one with Kurt uh, Russell, and it's from 2006. It's called Poseidon. Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. I like. I mean, I presume, although 2006, CGI mightn't have been great there. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm, I doubt it stopped them using it. And I would assume that that kind of suffered from, you know, I don't know, underdeveloped characters, which is like you don't exactly see these characters... Well, you do a bit, but they're paper thin, the characters. They're archetypes. Everybody in it is kind of representing something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think on account of that, that sort of formula, you kind of mess with it at your peril. Like, messing with it gives you something like a Roland Emmerich's film 2012, whereas mm-hmm. you could have something like James Cameron's Titanic, which when the special effects caught up to it and you were able to give all your amazing shots, provided you still had the right characters, I mean, you got what became the highest grossing film of all time. So I do think there is something in cinema audiences that inherently responds to a good disaster movie. Sure, we love seeing people die. And I do, I do think this is a good um, a disaster movie. I think it's, I think it's tense. Uh, I think it's uh, funny. I think it, it's, it oddly reminded me of watching The Crystal Maze in parts. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's what the set looks like. Yeah, yeah, it does. And like, you know, it, it must have been strange to film it. Like just, you know. They're... Apparently it was a really tough shoot. They were doing a lot of their own stunts and uh, people in general weren't happy, members of the cast. Because they were getting injured and mm. being forced to do things that were like pretty hard going. Yeah, I can... Uh, well, yeah, I suppose. It was also 1972, so... All on sound stages, like, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, they, they flipped a real boat and did it upside <laughs> down. They went out into the middle of the ocean and waited for a big rogue wave. There's, a, like, a couple... Okay, so I can imagine... I can already imagine, you know, the bloggers hitting at the uh, anachronisms in this. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's probably the hard the harshest point about it is like yeah, it's from almost fifty years well, whatever. ago. Whatever. Like yeah, yeah exactly. Know, yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is the character stuff. You've got the the cop that's married to the former prostitute. Yes, okay, so there's a trio of relationships <laughs> in this or would be relationships. You've got the cop that 
like, and they give this as a funny kind of a beat in it. Basically, I arrested her twenty court, times. Courted his former prostitute wife by arresting her excessively, which is uh, supposedly based on a real person. Really, allegedly, or a similar thing happened. There was someone from like Chicago or something. There's a there's like a similar case. Okay, but then you also have. Um, you also have uh, that uh, young young lady who's madly attracted to uh, Gene Hackman's character. Young, who, she's like, uh, how old is she supposed to be? Because the actress is 19. She was 19, yeah. It, the, at the start, she's it, supposed seemed, to be younger it, it feels than like that. it might be 19. Near the end of the movie, it feels like she's a child. I don't yeah. know. And she's, yeah, she's staring at Gene Hackman. There's and like he's one grabbing scene. her face and it's <laughs> fucking weird. Actually, all of the guys like helping women up ladders Dude, and stuff like that. Is like fucking hands on the hands on the arse cheeks but this the is entire it. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like uh, red buttons. Then yeah, who yeah, yeah. is introduced as a single man who's obsessed with um, vitamins and stuff like that. Basically, uh, be- gay. No, that's how that's how that plays in 1972. I feel is like think? this guy's gay. He's like fifty something. It's like confirmed bachelor. But the odd th- the odd thing is then is He's like. Way too old for that part. Any, but yeah, yeah. But like, I think you might be right actually, because what could be the creepiest relationship in the movie doesn't come across as creepy. <laughs> him with that lady yeah, who's Nani, helping her. I think she's Nani, called, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That doesn't come, that doesn't so much come across as creepy. I felt because I don't think they were like like, it, like there's definitely they're definitely leaning into something with Gene Hackman and that young girl. Also, gotta say as well, so. I came to this from an episode of Father Ted, and I can't help but think... It's very similar. There's a lot of Father Ted it's, in it! It's very similar. I can see that the writers Ernest of Father Borgnine Ted and his missus in it. Yeah. They're John and Mary from Father Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, and this is, this is a Father Ted moment, um, Gene Hackman repeatedly suggests women take off their gowns to go climbing. <laughs> you should you should take off your gown there. It'll be easier to climb he's, up. He's also getting sent to Africa at the start because he's basically like anti the church. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he's, yeah, he's yeah. gone off on his own like weird form of religion where he's like, you need to do it yourself because yeah, God's not going to help you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's his whole, <laughs> that's his whole thing. And actually, he... <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most unintentionally following films I've ever seen. And the thing is, people say that all the time. Yeah, I was, I was like cackling throughout. But this is so earnest that it... I, <laughs> earnest it really, Borgnine. It, there you go. It really <laughs> is unintentionally funny. Gene Hackman makes a you're crazy but you're good speech about himself <laughs> and his character introduction. It's madness. And also, it's got... What, like watching something like this, you've got to believe that the Zucker brothers didn't get Leslie Nielsen into comedies. They just noticed, oh my God, Leslie yeah, Nielsen is fucking he's hilarious. Just from the start. He's got, like, there's a line in this that's just out of the naked gun, like, where he just goes, by the way, happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. Have you seen any of the other big 70s, no, big budget disaster no, films? No, but I sourced a copy of... Earthquake, um, Towering Inferno. I, I sourced Towering Inferno from my local blockbuster. I watched that I'm gonna a watch, long time ago. I watched that soon. It's got his famous rough, story about Steve going. McQueen and Paul uh, um, Newman. Paul Newman arguing for who got the top space on yeah, the poster. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I mean, that's quite a tough watch these days as well. Just it's not great. Earthquake's got Sean Connery. I remember that one. All Airport, produced by the I same fellow, Erwin um, Erwin Winkler. Irwin, yeah, Erwin Winkler is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, this film was based on a novel by Paul Gallico, which was published in 1969, and then the film was released in 1972. So it's like it's a quick turnaround. It's, cool, basically. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's book. just popular 
The budget was four point seven million, and it made one hundred and twenty-five. Oh, there you go. That's nice. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards. Saw that, yeah. Yeah, winning two best original song. Wasn't Gene Hackman nominated? No. Oh right, thank God. Because I mean, Shelley, he's just screaming for Shelley checks. Shelley Winters in this, was was nominated, which is silly as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what the best picture was that year in nineteen seventy-three? Nineteen seventy-three. I'm going to say Godfather Part Two. Yeah, uh, the first one, first Godfather. Oh, what really was it? Yeah, it was released in nineteen seventy-two. Seventy-two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've talked about that year before because best original screenplay was a film that we watched. Go on. The Candidate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's appropriate enough that I should forget about the movie The Candidate because it is quite forgettable. Mm. Uh, Music-wise, this uh, this film shares a similar fact with The Long Goodbye. John Williams? This, yeah, John Williams. Another John Williams score pre the Spielberg mm. days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back when he was a jazz pianist. Yeah. And this film's directed by Ronald Neem, whose highest rated films are uh, The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, The Odessophile, and Tunes of Glory with Sir Alec Guinness. I have just about heard of The Odessophile. The Odessophile's got John Voight. It's about like someone seeing uh, a Sounds former... like a paranoid 70s thriller. Yeah, it's it's but it's it is, but it's like kind of someone spots like a high ranking Nazi later on, like post post war. Oh, like Marathon Man. That type of thing. Mm. Yeah, I think so. The prime of the prime of Miss Jean Brodie is very famous in Scotland. It's like set in Edinburgh. It's a Muriel Spark novel. Is it good? I haven't seen it, but uh it's got lads out, so Oh, might, right. Might check out. So yeah, my might. Tunes of Glory is uh, supposed to be quite good. It's like a bleak uh, Second World War film, I think. Some, it's, uh, it involves a lot of kilts and bagpipes, I think. In the Second World War? I think it's a Second World War film. I don't think they're... Ad- I think it might not be in the... Tra- like, it's not It's not like fighting. Mm. It's just sat on like a base somewhere, I think. All oh, right. Some general drinking brandy. But it's got Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness frequently worked with Ronald Neem. And a bunch of stuff back in the 50s. That's about it from what was going on with this film. Well, like, it, it seems wise. to have been well received. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars. Yeah, he Cisco said it's gave the sort of film three. you have to see. Not, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah even but they both praised needed. it for its technical aspects, which I guess in 1972 was pretty... Like, how they shot the the uh, flipping scene early on seems quite hardcore of the, at the time. Oh, they you mean the underwater like, stuff? They like or when when the when the boat first flips. Oh yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. They yeah. like basically kind of all the people you know. falling down and yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. Yeah, how they filmed that was like flipping the like flipping a set, raising it. Oh, and yeah, Christopher yeah, Nolan yeah. job, like yeah, 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 like doing the real shit and uh, and then kind of then kind of resetting everything with things stuck on the ceiling. I thought it was okay. I just I think it's, it's so little actually happens in the film because it's it's character over over action. Like yes. a modern action film would have way more going on, but yes. By the time, like I said, about one hour into the film, I was like, okay, I don't mind spending time with these characters, no. and I'm kind of interested to see what happens to them. And when they, when some of them do die, mm. it is it kind of is it's more meaningful than you get in a modern there's, film these days there's two deaths that are quite hardcore in it yeah uh linda and hackman i thought were like yeah wow, yeah, yeah. Okay. those two well because you're right at the end at that yeah, point yeah. so you're like oh that seems un- that seems kind of out of order like hackman's death is you know especially i'm like was that but it's almost like it's such a 
uh, it's so moralistic that it, it's so moralistic it almost justifies the priests wanting to watch it in Speed <laughs> Three because it it almost does uh, purport itself as a kind of a crisis manual. Yeah, this yeah, film, yeah. you know, everybody is such an archetype, and the arcs are so complete by the end of it. Oh, except for I mean, we'll like we'll get to it in plot, but. I, there's a part where uh, I don't know is it the bow or the stern that they're going for I can't remember but uh, let's say they're the going for the bow stern. Uh, they're going to the stern they're going, they're going to, to the, the back so <laughs> when they get out of the boat uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine uh, goes uh, what? And, uh, and nobody in the bow survived and it's almost kind of like damn it I was going for <laughs> the bow <laughs> he's almost like sick and Gene Hackman's character was so right yeah <laughs> not that everybody died but anyway well, it is a film that also does it, like we've mentioned with two things. It properly exists in storyland. This is a story film, but the th- the unusual thing is, I don't think mainstream cinema was anything but storyline un- up until very recently. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like nobody was making. Okay, actually, no. In the seventies, you mean things were like kind of less relevant to the no. Real, I mean, like world for events, example, so. it's more normal that you would see, uh, let's say, a cop thriller. It's more normal that you would see a cop thriller like uh, The French Connection now than not. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's like this is more harks back to kind of classic Hollywood. Yeah. Um, uh, well, like, As th- opposed it, to gritty realism. Yeah, 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 exactly. And wave, I don't I know how much I'd want to see the gritty realistic Poseidon adventure. I don't, I don't even know if the 2006 one is gritty and realistic. I, I mean, it no would be idea. so grim if it was, wouldn't it? Yeah, I can't imagine it is. It'd be like the day after or something. Yeah. Or threads. Nice. It's, uh, it's actually been longer in between that episode of Father Ted and now than from 1972, from when the to film the came Ted out yeah, to Father Ted. So it's, <laughs> we are actually, <laughs> we're further away from that episode than they were from the film. So <laughs> but that's, that's, that's a mind fuck in itself. Yeah. Because we're harking back I'm to something from 25 years enough. ago. <laughs> not up for that. So I, I just mean from that, I, <laughs> we're focusing on that Father Ted episode, but like they were, they were thinking back on something that's not that long ago. Yeah. yeah it's more recent than the Father Ted. For us, it now it's like fucking almost 50 years. Uh, oh God, so, Father Ted is so old on. and it's just yeah. tattooed on my brain. Like, Well, it's uh, that's timeless. Yeah. At least for me. This is not timeless. No. This is no. timed. <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, we, we, we can get to that in the cast and characters. Talking about both the cast and the characters. Shall I Let's jump into cast. Yeah, the uh, cast will be fun on this one. All right, we've got... G- yeah, because these are... Uh, these. I enjoy when we have these older films because there's some insane stuff in here of like... Oh, you got they, stories. Are, yeah, these oh, are brilliant. people that have lived lives. All right, so we've got Gene Hagman, first of all, is Reverend Frank Scott. The role was originally offered to Burt Lancaster, who turned it down because he was about 60 at the time. Hackman, at the time he made this, was in his early 40s. He's only about two years older than me. Well, also... And he looks, again, looks yeah. like he could be either my older brother or my dad. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we, I, it's not the first time we've no, uh, confusedly not. encountered Gene Hackman <laughs> as, a, as a lost object. Yeah. Uh, which he, like, very distinctly is. There's a cut of that young girl looking at him when he's doing his sermon. She's like, oh my God, I'm snail trailing for this old priest. Um, but uh, so, uh, so much of that from 1970s films, you're like... 
this girl likes this guy. It's Gene what Hackman. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's gross. It, just, it brought me to mind of, um, you know, the sex scene in the conversation when he's got that oh, uh, waterproof jacket on. Jesus. <laughs> but uh, he's gloriously over the top in this. I mean, and uh, he is I, really good. I think he's so much better than everyone else. Yeah, I mean, because he's fucking Gene Hackman. He's, he's one Gene of the Hackman. best actors ever. Um, but I do like he's definitely like, and William Friedkin has alluded to this aspect of Gene Hackman's personality that um, he got into the he got success in the game so late that for the f- at least the first ten uh, years of his career he would have done anything. Mm-hmm. So like he pops up in just everything, you know. He was getting yeah. He got shit on for a long time prior to making it i think he was having a hard time he had a hard time he came up hard through uh taking shit gigs mm. so. hackman, hackman was on richard nixon's master list of enemies uh revealed during what? the what yeah during watergate it was revealed he was on the list why <laughs> uh well I, <laughs> that's terrific trivia i don't know i don't know if you've ever looked to the master list i just looked at it yesterday no, but i have watched and thoroughly it's recommend mad. the documentary nixon is in his own words uh, other celebrities on the list included Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, and Bill Cosby. I mean, uh, even even a stopped <laughs> clock. Yeah, uh, exactly. But uh, Nixon, Nixon was Nixon was trying to warn us. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't uh, we didn't take it seriously. But hold on, does it give any reasons why these Hollywood? I suppose the liberal elite s- or some yeah, shit. Yeah, like I that. assume it was like that. It's like here's a, here's uh, a left wing actor presumably supporting the Democrats at the time, so mm. he's on the shit list, have, making kind of vaguely. Have you ever watched Nixon in his own words? No. Have I told you about it? Yeah, maybe a little. Oh, so it's this terrific documentary where you see the real life events play out during Nixon's presidency and uh, then corresponding like the conversations he recorded with like people in the White House, Mm -hmm. like Henry Kissinger and stuff. So it's like they'll be saying one thing about, I don't know, Israel or something and then just cut to Nixon talking to one of his like advisors just going... um, You'd never get a kike in a position of power. <laughs> yeah. and it's, like, it's just crazy because he's the yeah, president, yeah, yeah. like, you know? Yeah, but I mean, he it's was It's so just, entertaining, uh, though. That documentary is so entertaining just for that. Yeah, it was uh, that, that was all just locker room talk. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's all okay. Hackman is 91 years old and is still an active cyclist. Uh, and now writes Western novels, I believe. Oh, does he now? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's been retired a, 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 a long at time least now. 10 years, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than that. Uh, this film came between French Connection and Scarecrow with a couple of others next to it, but I was looking at Gene Hackman's filmography. Mm. There are so many films of his I've never heard of. Go on. I just never... Well, let me... Okay, let me see if you've heard of any of these. Uh, do you know um, Zandy's Bride? No. No, that's uh, an American settler marries uh, a, a, a European mail-order bride and together they learn how to thrive. That's Sounds excellent. Gol- yeah. Night Moves, are you familiar with that? I've heard of it, I haven't seen it. It's 1975, he's a, a private uh, detective, it's an Arthur Penn film. Uh, Bite the Bullet, Lucky Lady, The Domino Killings, None. March or Die, All Night Long, nope. Eureka. No. Nope. Just there's so much of his filmography I've just never heard of. Well, this uh, goes to prove uh, yeah. William Friedkin's theory that he would say yes to a lot back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Ernest Borgnine played uh, Detective Lieutenant Mike Rogo. Yeah. I think we talked a little about Borgnine in the Dirty Dozen episode. 
Um, but there were so many people in that film. I don't know if we said much about him. He was born Hermes Efron Bornino in 1917, the son of Italian immigrants. Quite an ugly man. He's got a, he's got a face on him. He's yeah. got a face. He joined the Navy in 1935 before being honorably honorably discharged in 1941. Best kind of discharge. He exactly. He re-enlisted after Pearl Harbor. And nice. During, Good for you. I like that. During World War II, he patrolled the Atlantic coast on an anti-submarine warfare ship, the USS Sylph. That sounds like old man duty to me. How old was he? He would have been around in his late 30s at the yeah, time. Yeah, that's old man duty. But if, if you saw this boat, it's basically like a yacht. It's It looks like nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, those were... A sporter boat. It's just, it's just like that looks pretty hardcore to me. Oh, because you're just you're sailing on a yacht, and you have to be like, "Oh, there's a submarine." I feel like you're gonna get by, you know, get blown out of the water. Mm, I wouldn't say so. I mean, you're basically you're so close to home, basically. I, yeah, I home guess comforts. you must be pretty close to mm. the coast. So anyway, he was on the Atlantic coast. Uh, uh, Board nine. I he looks hard as nails in this. I yes. think he look. He's got like that kind of like he's he was in his mid fifties. But he looks like a man who's served 10 years in the Navy. Like, he's got that... Well, he's got that Lee Marvin thing going on. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. got, like... He looks or like what's he his could name tear is? Sterling fucking Hayden. phone books in half. He looks like he could tear everyone in the cast in, into pieces. Yeah, totally. He's just... He's got that... Yeah, he's just... He's got this, like, uh, uh, um, you know, I'm maybe... I'm not... I don't work out that much. But uh, he's I've got seen like, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got like permanent. He's got permanent muscle with yeah. like a bit of. Who do you think it went, him or uh, Sterling Hayden in a fight? I'm t- I would probably go Borgnine. I'm trying to think. This was 1972. Was Sterling Hayden? Borgnine. Ster- yeah, because around the same time, because this is like the year before the Long Goodbye. Uh, yeah, I would probably go Borgnine over Hayden. I certainly. Certainly for like a, a long time, and it's I would definitely still be in my uh, top five. Uh, the Wild Bunch was my favorite film, mm. and he he, d- he frequently does something in it that uh, I love, which is just that like there's there's it happens maybe four times in the film where they're just at a loose end and they're looking around and like Borgnine just starts fucking manically laughing, <laughs> like the, like and the best uh, and he, everybody starts laughing along with him, and it's like. It does. It's it's all. It's strange to see in the context of the sort of films that were being made at the time. But you watch it nowadays, and it's such a human moment that Peckinpah inserted in it. Even in the yeah, shootout yeah. at the end, there's a part like where they are. They're all looking at like they start. They make the first shot. They start looking around, and all the Mexican army fucking getting their guns. And Borgnine just goes, <laughs> "Oh, so it's oh, And he has that kind of face, like he's a wild man. Yeah, 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 absolutely. During his career, he won an Oscar for Best Actor for the film Marty. Beating, among others, James Dean. Marty. 1956. What's Marty? Don't know. Scar and his Borgnine in it. Nice. Best actor. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember exactly what Marty's about. I've seen a little, let me tell you a little about it. It's an American romantic drama directed by Delbert Mann. Screenplay written by Paddy Chayefsky. Mm-hmm. About an Italian American butcher in the Bronx. So just a kind of a care. It's a, a character piece. But yeah, they won that. So what about? So what did you make of Ernest Borgnine's character as this the police detective who's married to the prostitute that he arrested? Well, it's very much John and Mary. They're they're <laughs> irritated by each other in a, a kind of a char- charming way almost. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean he's fun, but it's like like he's just one of the like you know he's a he's a chess piece in it, you know. Yeah, you move yeah, him yeah. around to make the plot move. Whatever, it's I fine. like him like telling the young kid to shut up. All yeah, the time. that's what that's good. That's good. <laughs> ah, you're just there's a adults, kid. There's adults talking. What the fuck do and you know? That's, that harks back to uh, a, a slightly different time. And everybody, like, I mean, that's one of the aspects of the film that they lampoon directly in Aeroplane. <laughs> like, hey, Timmy. Might even be the same actor. No, it can't be. It's nah, a year, nah, it, it was, was years later. Like ten years later. Yeah, eight, yeah, eight yeah. years later. Airplanes in nineteen eighty. But um, yeah, that's very um, that's very funny. Particularly because as an audience member, you're going, oh, so I can't wait for the kid to be right and Ernest Borgnine <laughs> to be wrong. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Red Buttons. Who you mentioned before, who played James Martin. Yeah, he's got one of those I drink a lot faces. Yeah, he's got like, uh, he, well, he's he, he was in his early fifties at the time. It just feels like he's balding on top on on the top of his head. He just looks like he shouldn't be playing that role because no. he's sitting around the the kind of they're uh, they're all having dinner and he's kind of talking about like I work all the time so I can't have a wife, but everyone's trying to set him up with like. 20 year olds yeah that's how it feels they're like hey you should get yourself a, a nice young wife yeah 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 um, and he's he's clearly gay but what do you think is, is that what i think so i think he's gay so you yeah and there isn't any actually creepiness in him helping out that young lady i don't think any. i don't think so no, no, no i don't no, think no, no, he no. just seems like a nice guy the, like yeah gene hackman is hogging all the creepiness in this one yeah yeah red buttons was born aaron Chwat. <laughs> 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 C-H-W-A-T-T Chwat So why do they call him Red Buttons? Chwat Oh I can tell you that Well he was born in uh, February 5th 1919 In Manhattan To Jewish immigrants At 16 years old Chwat got a job As an entertaining bellhop At Ryan's Tavern In City Island In the Bronx the combination of his red hair and the large shiny buttons on the bellhop uniforms inspired orchestra leader Charles Dinty Moore to call him Red Buttons, mm. the name under which he would later perform. Nice. That summer, when That's he was trivia. 16, he worked comedy rooms in the Catskills as a double act with his straight man partner, Robert Alda, father of oh, Alan so he Alda. was gay. But that, what do you mean? At him himself? No, 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 no. You said his straight man partner. <laughs> okay. I'm, I apologize for not getting that. I did not get that joke at all. <laughs> did I, you not? I did. I genuinely didn't get that. No more coffee. Yeah, yeah. In 1941, Jose Ferrer, uh, uncle or Jose Ferrer, uncle of George Clooney, chose Buttons to appear in a Broadway show. The Admiral had a wife. The show was a farce set in Pearl Harbor, and it was due to open on December 8th, 1941. But it, it never did, as it was deemed inappropriate that after the Japanese attack. Is great trivia. And in, in later years, Buttons would joke that the uh, Japanese only attacked Pearl Harbor to keep him off Broadway. That's a solid gag. As is he, this, he sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. sounds like that's a fun a, guy. That's a solid gag. I like that. Buttons won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for the 1957 film Sayonara, starring Marlon Brando. Have you ever heard of that? No. Me neither. I hadn't heard I'd of like it. to hear Marlon Brando say Sayonara, though. <laughs> I'd like to hear a Japanese person say Marlon Brando. Uh, he <laughs> Mar uh, yeah, it's a red, red button. But we're in the not film. going to. No, I'm not going to do that. In the film, Red Buttons plays Joe Kelly, an American airman stationed in Kobe, uh, Japan, during the Korean War, who marries Katsumi, a Japanese woman played by Miyoshi Umeki but is barred from taking her back to the United States. My favorite casting choice in this film is that 
There's a character called Nakamura played by Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> okay. I want to see that. Yes. I definitely want to see that. I'll take a few clips of that. Uh, Buttons made numerous appearances on Friars Club Roasts and was nationally recognized for his catchphrase, Never Got a Dinner. I don't know why. It's, it's I have a to, decent I have to catchphrase. See that. I never got a dinner. I'll have to see what that was. He was number 71 on Comedy Central's list of the 100 greatest stand-ups of all time. So he's a, he's a well-respected stand-up comedian and uh, roaster. In that, partic- in that particular style of uh, roasting, which is funny to see if you ever see, watch any of the, the old ones. with like, What's the name? Of, uh, did you ever watch um, your man uh, Foster Brooks on them? No. Foster Brooks was a sober guy who uh, play, like played steaming drunk at the roasts and Respect. so well, like he's brilliant in them. Um, and but like you know, Dean Martin, of course, would be you know half cut the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um, which it was just a funny contrast because then F- Foster Brooks would come up and do his shtick. But that that back when the roasts were that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Carol Lindley played Nonny Parry. That was the lady that Red Buttons' character was. Who sings the exact same song as the uh, lady would later sing in Airplane. Ah. There has got to be a morning after. I don't have a lot to say about her. She lip-synced the Oscar-winning song in the film. That was an Oscar-winning song? Yeah. That they later used in Airplane to comic effect. That's funny. (laughs) But you remember, you know the scene I'm talking about in Airplane where she's playing the guitar and the kid is on the IV drip and she keeps catching the drip in the neck of the guitar and the kid's <laughs> like, Argh! I need to watch that again. It's been a long time. It's a very good movie. As Carol Lindley's career declined, she complained that there were no role, roles for middle-aged women. I yeah. think we've heard that from a few. Kathleen Turner was another. I guess that's like a common complaint. I was wondering if that, if you think that's changed. And that's changed these days. Yes, but... In a strange way that, like, middle-aged women just look incredibly young, you know? Mm, yeah. Like Halle Berry, like, was in the John Wick movies recently. I mean, she's mm. definitely getting on, but, I mean, she looks mm-hmm. just fantastic. Carol Lindley had an, uh, an 18-year-on-off relationship with David Frost. Come back to that Richard Nixon Frost connection. Nixon, all right. There you go. Uh, her and Red Buttons detested each other during filming, but... <laughs> Later became close friends, both attending the 2006 premiere of Wolfgang Peterson's film Poseidon. Oh. Just before Red, uh, Red Buttons died very shortly after that in 2006. But hated each other during filming. Yeah, there were, uh, there's, a, there's a few people that didn't care for each other. Jack uh, Albertson was not a big fan of Shelley Winters, which uh, we'll get on to shortly. But before that, we've got Roddy McDowell, who played Acres. Uh, the token disposable Irishman. Yeah, well, actually, English actor Roddy McDowell, best known for his portrayal of Cornelius in Planet of the Apes, was supposed to be doing a Scottish accent as really? Acres. Yeah, it's all over the shop. Yeah, I, w- I thought it was, uh, you know, a ham packaged Irish. I thought it was Welsh and Scottish at one point, but it, it was supposed to be Scottish. Yeah, there's a death you don't care about, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Acres, yeah, a- Acres' death is meaningless. It's kind of surprising that uh, a, someone of his stature took on that role. Yeah, and they go for it as a death, but like, yeah. there's no way you care. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. He's who's he? He's, he's the just help. A fucking guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He works he's on the butler. boat. He should be dying. Of course, he's dead. <laughs> Got some nice trivia about him. In 1974, the FBI raided McDowell's home and seized his collection of films and television series in the course of an investigation into film piracy and copyright infringement. His collection collection consisted of 160 16-millimeter prints and more than 1,000 video cassettes, 
at a time before the era of commercial videotapes, when there was no legal aftermarket for films. So there's no way you could own one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh. He had he had purchased Errol Flynn's home cinema films and transferred them all to tape for longer lasting archival storage. No well, I mean, charges were filed. <laughs> but he was he he was the first uh, like kind of video pirate, pirate video pirate. Yeah. So instead of going to Blockbuster, maybe we should say I borrowed it from Roddy McDowell. Hey. I got it from Roddy McDowell's private collection. Indeed. He was a, a lifelong bachelor. Yeah, in full service, my adventures in Hollywood and the secret sex life of the stars, by Scotty Bowers, a famous Hollywood producer, uh, a famous Hollywood producer, McDowell is acknowledged as one of Bowers' homosexual clients. So there you go, Very confirmed much. bachelor. Maybe he should have played Red Buttons. Sounds like it. His character. What was he called? James Martin. That's what Red Buttons' character was called. Uh, next, Mr. We've got, next we've got next we've got Stella Stevens as Linda Rogo, the hooker. Yeah, with uh, Heart of Gold, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked her in it. She's got moxie. She's just a lot of moxie. She's full of spunk. Mm. Uh, Stevens was married at 16 and gave birth six months later. She got divorced at 19. Mm. Sounds about in, right. In January Good 1960, she was Playboy Magazine's Playmate of the Month and was also featured in Playboy Pictorials in 1965 and 1968. Must give that a Google. Maybe yeah, she was included in, the show in Playboy's 100 sex, Sexiest Stars of the 20th Century, appearing at number 27. During the 1960s, she was one of the most photographed women in the world. I mean, she... I'd never heard of her <laughs> before <laughs> watching this again. She does have those um, heavy 70s uh, memories going Yes, she's uh, she's well endowed. Still alive today, Stevens has stated that she regrets not keeping her white panties from the film as she could have made a fortune selling them on eBay. So <laughs> odd regret to have. But... <laughs> well, I guess she's kind of like, yeah, I could have used that money. Yeah, it is. It's funny you were mentioning earlier about them, like uh, all the female characters. Well, all the like kind of attractive or mm. young female characters have to have their gowns removed yeah, yeah, but then yeah. mrs rosen but i mean that can, is that's, keep hers <laughs> you, do you remember the father ted gag i'm referring to where well no where father is that jack exactly? has a flashback uh, yeah. and uh, he whispered like he's in a classroom full of girls oh yeah, yeah and he, yeah. Uh, he whispers something to a nun and the nun goes and father hackett has just informed me that it's very hot outside today so there'll be no yeah. need for your tracksuit tops i do recall that Next, we've got Shelley Winters as Belle Rosen. Uh, by all accounts, Shelley Winters was quite hard work during filming. She was portraying an elderly woman, but was only 51, a few years younger than Ernest Borgnine at the time. And she had to put on... Uh, oh. Yeah, she put on 35 pounds for the part, which she later complained that she was nev never able to lose for the rest of her life. I mean, 35 pounds is a lot to put on That's for a role, isn't it? That's a lot of chunk. She won uh, Academy Awards for The Diary of Anne Frank in 1959 and A Patch of Blue in 1965. Good for her. And she also received Academy Award nominations for A Place in the Sun in mm. 1951 and The Poseidon Adventure. She was nominated. She was nominated. Best Supporting Actress. I mean, whatever. It was fine. During the 90s, she played Roseanne's grandmother on the sitcom of the same name. I have never seen a single episode of Roseanne. Oh, I, that was probably the age difference between us. Yeah. I remember watching Roseanne quite a bit. But, uh, was it good? Yeah, yeah it's fine. It wasn't, it wasn't my favorite sitcom at that time. I remember it was like part of a sort of Friday evening lineup in the, on Channel 4 in the early 90s. Mm. But uh, I preferred Cheers. Or During filming on the Poseidon Adventure, Shelley Winters gambled with Jack Albertson on hands of Jim Rummy, allegedly losing $260,000 to him, which she never paid up. Respect. 
What? Oh, that's that's it. I mean, it's a great set story, but that's a lot of money to not pay up on. Well, Jack Albertson. Apparently, I mean, he's kind of a sucker for pay, like playing for credit. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Jack Albertson, who played uh, her husband and, Manny Rosen and Grandpa Joe in Willy Wonka. Yeah, yeah the exactly. Aka Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka. He uh, apparently hated <laughs> Shelley Winters and was uh, absolutely ecstatic when her character dies. <laughs> <laughs> When Albertson was a teen, <laughs> he dropped out of funny. high school and became a rack boy in the local Mass- in local Massachusetts pool parlors, ending up as a, a, a supposedly a pretty decent pool hustler. Huh? That's so, not the origin story you picture for Grandpa Joe. Gra- Grandpa Joe are like hustling two hundred and sixty thousand dollars out of Shelley Winters, although didn't manage to claim it. But still, he was he was a hustler. Mm? He grew up a hustler. After that, he became a vaudeville dancer. And straight man in a double act, not gay, with Phil Silvers. Who's that? Better known as Sergeant Bilko later okay. in life. Everyone's in a double act with straight guys. <laughs> it's all straight men. Oh, my oh, no, God. He was, we, he was mean, the straight man. Jack Albertson was straight. Who would Phil be, the, who would be the straight man between us? I don't think either of us could <laughs> qualify. Us. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a straight man. No, no, no. It's a new, Jack it's Albert- a new type of double act. <laughs> Jack Albertson won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the 1968 film The Subject Was Roses, beating Jack Wilde for Oliver. He later apologized to, to young Jack Wilde so, for being better than him. <laughs> there's so many, uh, by the, just for the sounds of all of these, there's so many films that have just just passed and nobody will remember them. It's I happening know. like right now like yeah. as well, every year. Like I watched it recently, and it's a good movie. But I mean that um, Anthony Hopkins film, The Father. The it's Father. A good movie. Uh, who's going to remember that? Nobody. No. Well, that's ironic, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Jack Albertson. <laughs> that is, I, I wasn't even thinking that way. <laughs> Jack Albertson died of colon cancer on November twenty fifth, nineteen eighty one. The next day, something extremely important happened. What's that? I have no idea. Twenty sixth of November, nineteen eighty one. I was born. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So I am Jack Albertson reborn. There was a, a, f- a few hours in between, probably, where uh, my spirit was just floating in the ether. What's the date again? It's the 26th of... Well, I was born on the 26th of November, That's 1981. right. Yeah, I knew we were getting close. It's dangerously Before close. you leave, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll, be, I'll be 40, yo. I'll have to cook you a chicken. Yeah, cook me a chicken, and I'll be back for breakfast. Last up, I think we have to touch on Mr. Leslie Nielsen of as course. Captain Harrison. His mother, Mabel Elizabeth Nee Davies, was an, an immigrant from Wales, and his father, Ingvard Everson Nielsen, was a Danish-born constable in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. All of that sounds like the combination that made uh, Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> his father was an abusive man who beat his wife and sons, and Leslie longed to escape. At 17, Nielsen enlisted and served in the Royal Canadian Air Force from 1943 to the end of the Second World War. Although legally deaf, he wore hearing aids for most of his life. Wow. Mm. Nielsen's first comedy role was Airplane in 1980. Uh, Similarly, his final dramatic role was for the film Nuts in 1987. So from 1987 until the end of his life in 2010, he only did comedy. And like... I mean, he's just one of those actors that I don't think I don't think anybody dislikes Leslie Nielsen. No, you just see, you're like, oh, brilliant! I'll definitely watch that. 
Like, have you seen, I mean, like, even, I haven't seen many of his quote-unquote serious stuff. I've seen Forbidden Planet, for for mm. example, but, like, still, when you're watching something like that, you're going, <laughs> you're enjoying the Leslie Nielsen-ness of it all. Might have come from the fact that he was deaf. Like, his delivery is, it's a, something bizarre. Like, in this, it's it's bizarre. And I do think it's a case of not him getting into comedies, but the Zucker brothers noticing, oh, my God, he's hilarious. Yeah, he was in his kind of late 30s at this point when this film was made. You know, it's just, it's interesting. to It's so weird to see him younger. I mean, he doesn't look particularly young. And it's such a bizarre thing to, for somebody's uh, career to get such a completely different second wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently he was a big practical joker and known for pranking people with a portable hand-controlled fart machine. <laughs> yeah, his, his, I like him even more. His uh, epitaph reads, letter rip, a final reference <laughs> to his favorite practical joke. Uh, a legend. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Probably good friends with O.J. Simpson. Undoubtedly. Um, not anymore. No. Now he's, well, yeah, no, now he's a friend. Friend, of the, friend of the show. Uh, most people are. Unsurprisingly, for a film from 50 years ago, the vast majority of cast members are dead. But old Genie Hackman's is still he's, an enemy. He's still with us. Moving into the plot, the SS Poseidon, an ocean liner slated for retirement, is traveling from New York City to Athens. Despite safety concerns from the captain, the new owner's representative insists he go full speed to save money, oh, preventing yeah. Poseidon from taking on ballast. I love a good um, mayor from Jaws character. Yeah. Anybody like that, I'm, a, I'm there for it. And they've, they've got their own Scotty in the engine room as well. Yeah, I don't understand how this... I don't know what ballast is also. <laughs> ballast is like, I believe, I haven't researched this, but I'm guessing that's like you take on water. Okay. If you, I don't know the reason. Is it for buoyancy or something? You take on some water so that you don't sh- move so much? I mean, for I a know. fan of boaty movies, I don't know much about boats Yeah, at all. I, I refuse to even Google to find out what ballast is. They but need any, some ballast. They didn't take any on. They needed some ballast. Yeah. They refused to take it on. Uh, I, I, my understanding is, like, in the Mediterranean, if there was a big underwater earthquake, yes. a giant, the only way, there, they, this can't happen. This big giant wave thing... Unless they were, they say that they're in shallows, hmm. much like Lady Gaga, <laughs> and uh, so uh, like that's supposedly how it's supposed to. But like, a, I I watched a, a video about rogue waves, which was quite good. I'll put it in the show notes. I Do watched please. a nice YouTube video about that, about how they how they happen. But they just kind of, they're formed out of nowhere, and they go up to like a height of about thirty meters, and uh, yeah, they can fuck boats up. And there are many cases of boats that have been taken out by rogue waves. But it doesn't need to... It's not from It's not from underwater earthquakes. So it's kind of weird that that's put in. But this, I think, we understand more about waves since 1972 or 1969. when the Yeah, certainly was since that film The Impossible came out. That's where I learned most about waves. Right. And also yeah. Point Break. And to a yes. lesser extent, the remake of Point Break. Yeah. And also the film Waves. I guess. Um, not so much waves in that. <laughs> uh, more of kind of a... They're more um, metaphorical waves. Yeah. Anyway, rogue waves are terrifying. Uh, so, yeah, you should do some research into that and never want to get on a boat ever again. 
Have you ever been on a boat that's <laughs> rocking, for want of a better... Yeah, yes. I, I was on the, a pirate radio boat in the 1960s. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I got I got date-raped by Nick Frost. <laughs> well, I haven't seen that film, but Sorry. I know there's... I know there's, reference. Well, I know there's, like, a scene where they do that kind of, like, hey, switch places in bed kind yeah. of rape thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, Richard Curtis, good old, old Richie. Old uh, no, I, I was... Uh, on yeah, a, on I have. A, I've been on pretty kind of turbulent waters before, like on a ferry. Oh yeah, on a ferry. On yeah, a yeah big me boat, too. Like passenger ferry. That shit's crazy. And yeah, very it's, scary. It's, it is quite scary, but yeah, it's, I was on it a, seems reasonably safe. A, yeah, I was on a, a a fast ferry crossing from Ireland to England. No, from England to Ireland rather, and um, yeah, it was ju- it, like just stewardesses running up and down with bags of vomit for about two hours. It nice. was crazy. How much were they insane. selling those for? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take two. <laughs> uh, my abiding memory is having like, um, like I, I ate like a bunch of wine gums in the car on the way to the ferry and then just my vomit smelling like wine yeah. gums. And now you were 32 at the time. <laughs> Reverend Scott, a minister who believes God helps those who help themselves is traveling to a new parish in Africa as punishment for his unorthodox views. Detective Lieutenant Rogo and his wife Linda, a former prostitute, (laughs) deal with her seasickness. Yeah. Susan Shelby and her younger brother Robin are traveling to meet up with their parents who are on vacation in Greece. Susan has a crush on Scott while Robin is interested in how the ship works and frequently visits the engine room. Retired Jewish store owner Manny Rosen and his wife Belle are going to Israel to meet their two-year-old grandson for the first time. Haberdasher James Martin, he's also a haberdasher. Haberdasher James Martin is a love-shy, health-conscious bachelor. The ship singer Nonny Parry rehearses for the New Year's Day celebration. There has got to be a morning after. And it's also the the song that... uh, the succubus sings in South Park. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. That's nice. Passengers gather in the promenade uh, room to celebrate. The captain is called to the bridge in response to a report of an undersea earthquake. He receives word from the lookout that a tsunami is approaching from the direction of Crete. This makes no sense. No. He issues a mayday distress signal. The ship is hit broadside and capsizes floating upside down. The origin of the story was based on events that happened to the Queen Mary back in the 1940s. Did it capsize? No, it very, very nearly capsized. During the Second World War, when it was a, um, a troop ship, it came within inches of capsizing, I think. It, it flipped really, really far. But that was just a rogue wave in the uh, middle of the ocean, not caused by any undersea earthquake. In the dining room... Uh, survivors take stock of their predicament. Acres, an injured waiter, is trapped at the galley door, now high above. At Martin's prompting, Scott determines that the escape route will be found upwards at the outer hull. That's upwards in inverted commas. Yeah. At the outer hull, now above water. Robin tells him the hull near the propeller shaft is only one inch, or three centimeters, handily, that's in here, thick. Scott attempts to convince the dozens of survivors in the dining room to travel with him to the ship's hull. Hull, rather. However, the ship's purser tells them to wait for help. Yeah. Most of the survivors side with the purser. Yeah, that's a, 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 a odd moment. Uh, Which part? How much of a villain the purser is depicted as? Well, he's just an arsehole. He's kind of right, is he not? I mean, 
I guess the fact that the boat is upside down should be a concern, but the what basically fucks everything up throughout is that for no reason at all, there are explosions constantly happening. Like every so often, when yeah. they need when they need something to happen, they use the same shot of kind of explosions affecting the underwater ship. Yes, and there's just no there's 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 not really any clear reason as to why stuff keeps blowing up. And what's that got to do with the purser? Well, like everything seemingly would be okay, but then these random explosions <laughs> keep happening. Yeah, okay, that, fair that, enough. Like, well, but I mean, I imagine there would be quite a bit of that. I don't know. I don't know about that, but like the, at one point, uh, Robin, the young boy, t- talks about some other boat that stayed like that for 10 hours before sinking. So like there, are, there, are, there is some evidence <laughs> that they should be able to survive like that for a period. It's of time. It's a very convenient thing for a young boy to be into. Much yeah, like, well, he's like into it's boats. like the guy kid, likes boats. Yeah, yeah, like the kid who likes snakes and snakes on a plane, and that kind of thing. The Rosens, the Rogos, Susan and Robin, Acres, Nonny and Martin <laughs> agree to go with Scott using the inner metal frame of the promenade room's Christmas tree as a makeshift ladder. This is when it all gets very crystal maze. In- yeah. After the group climbs up to the galley, there's a series of explosions. As seawater floods the dining room below, those remaining attempt to climb the tree, but their weight causes it to fall. Water fills up the room and Poseidon begins sinking. And obviously, all the people who stayed with the purse are dying. They're all dead. Yeah, yeah. They and well, like his archetype is what, like the capitalist, basically, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just the guy who's like, you know, let's let's not shake things up. Yeah, let's, it's uh, he's a bit of a conservative, and uh, like he, the German the guy uh, uh, who um, t- who tries to rat on uh, the passengers in United ninety three. Yeah, it doesn't work out well for these people. Scott leads his group. Uh, yeah, uh, going back to that Christmas tree thing, that's quite a long section of the film. Climbing up the tree. Getting, yeah, climbing yeah. up a Christmas tree. I uh, I enjoyed it for the fine. practicality of it all. I was just mm. like, oh yeah, this is what would happen. And it's like as well, it's just um, you know, it's a a true um marker of of the times of what they had to fill up disaster movies with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Climbing like, Christmas trees. Like today, I suppose you know you're. Wolfgang Petersons or your old Nemericks would have like a few pages of dialogue and then just go to an FX team and go, so what do you got? What can we do? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a exactly... A falls and I don't know. None of it would be character or no. dialogue led Or climbing anymore. a tree. Yes. We've moved <laughs> a beyond tree, tree climbing. You know? And, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> one of the bumps in the plot is that uh, Shelley fat. Winters is a big fat lady. <laughs> She's fat. She says, I'm fat. I, I can't climb. I'm just going to give up. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, sit yeah. down. There's a couple of times during the film where she's like, yeah, I'm fat. <laughs> yeah, and also, <laughs> there's another one where um, uh, Miss Rogo goes, I'm not going behind the fat lady. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, also that the uh, little kid Robin says, yeah, I've caught a 600-pound marlin or whatever with my with my dad. Mm. And then later says sorry to Shelley Winter saying, I'm sorry I suggested that you were like the same weight as a 600-pound fish. <laughs> That was not my intention. And yeah. she's like, You're worried about are you worried about my feelings right now? <laughs> this is nineteen seventy two, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you, don't you worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Scott leads his group towards the engine room while climbing a ladder inside a ventilation shaft. The ship rocks from more explosions. Acres falls and dies. Who gives Who a cares? Fuck Bye, Acres. When the shaft explodes. Leaving the shaft, the group meets a large band of survivors led by the ship's doctor. That's kind of weird. They're just, they're like trudging along 
to their to their deaths. Yeah, presumably it is. Yeah, and uh, heading toward the bow, Ernest Borg, and they're walking like zombies. It's yeah, weird. they do. Look, it's they weird look like shot. zombies. Ernest Borgnine, as well as all gung ho for going that I direction. Go with those and it's, guys. it's quite funny how happy Gene Hackman's character, a priest, is for the whole thing to just reduce into a dick measuring competition. He's like, fine, I'll tell you what, eh, I'll try my way and it's not we'll do it your way. But it was, it's like, it's... There's, there's, some, there's, some kind of, there's some weird moments in there where he's like, okay, deal. You got a deal, Yeah, and it's like, Buster. we're dealing on this? Yeah, yeah. This is the competition? You're getting petty about this? It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. I think through the, the one part, something that has changed in the years since this film is it would be a lot more realistic nowadays in that these characters don't seem that bothered a lot of the time mm. that they're in an upside down boat <laughs> that's sinking yeah they're kind of they're not panicked no. that much and like obviously in the modern day film people would be like hyperventilating and uh, unable to yeah. move the group meets a large band of survivors led by the ship's doctor heading towards the bow scott believes they are heading for their doom but rogo wants to follow them and give scott Gives Scott 15 minutes to find the engine room, although he takes longer than allowed. Scott succeeds. The engine room well, is that's on got the, the creepiest scene in it as well, where um, the young girl follows him and they almost have a smooch. They it's, do. It's nasty. When he's about to go up the, yeah. the engine room is on the other side of a flooded corridor. Belle reveals she is a former competitive swimmer. Yeah. And volunteers to go through, but Scott refuses her and dives in. So originally, I think in the original script. Shelley Winter's character is supposed to go first, but they decided it would be better this way if she rescued. She, yeah, she rescued Gene uh, Gene Hackman. This scene also Scott. has my favorite line of dialogue in the film, which is uh, Gene Hackman says, uh, "And when I get to the other side, I'll give you a tug." <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how he meant it. I'm sure. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Also, I mean, you know, uh, they're not in the engine room till the fat lady swims. There we go. That's hey. nice. Nice. Halfway through, a panel collapses on, on Scott. Uh, the survivors notice the delay and Belle dives in. She frees Scott and they make it to the other side. But she suffers a 1972 style heart yeah, attack. Yeah, what is that? What is that death? It's crazy. <laughs> Clutching her chest and going, Ugh. It's funny as well, you mentioning Grandpa Joe hated her so much because they have to play a tender so many times in yeah. the film. There, there, were there must like have been a lot of uh, actors. Uh, Cut. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just good actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why Shelley Winters was nominated for the Oscar because they're like she's a bitch. <laughs> she it doesn't appear as one. She's clearly a good actor. Before dying, she tells Scott to give her uh, chain pendant. Give, she tells Scott to give her ch- chai pendant. It must be chain pendant. Or is it chai pendant? Some type of pendant. She's got a pendant anyway. Mm. She tells Scott to give it to her husband to, to then give to their grandson. Rogo swims over to make sure Belle and Scott are all right, then leads the rest over. When Manny finds Belle's body, he's unwilling to go on. But Scott gives him her pendant, reminding him that he has a reason to live. You can't. I got the, the sense of that because I couldn't really remember clearly exactly what happened there. I thought that uh, that Manny was just going to quit, yeah, and just die with his wife. Yeah, I kind of got this that sense, but no, there's a kind there's a few twists still to come on the way here. Kind of a bit shocking those two deaths that you mentioned, Linda and uh, and uh, Scott. But Scott leads the survivors to the propeller shaft room's watertight door. 
but additional explosions cause Linda to lose her grip and fall to her death yeah. into a big fiery pit. That's a nasty old death, isn't it? Yeah, and a uh, heartbroken and infuriated Rogo blames Scott. Yes, he does, which is... It's, kind a bit, it's a bit of a leap. Yeah, 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 for sure. A ruptured pipe releases steam blocking their escape. Scott rants at God for the survivors' deaths as he leaps across a pool of flaming oil Grabbing onto the burning hot valve wheel to shut down the steam, Scott tells Rogo to lead the group on before falling to his death. Yeah, yeah, that's his Jesus moment. Yeah, which is a, it's it's a bit strange. Well, he but, no, uh, he refines his faith right. and the idea of you know self sacrifice for the greater good before. But the... he's still following his own kind of certainly not Catholic doctrine of like I need to do this because you're no fucking help, God. Uh, yeah, but it's kind of like there's the leap of faith aspect of I it guess. as yeah, well. Yeah, he's like, uh, we did Like, everything. it's definitely going for the Jesus thing. Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah. way it's not. Well, he is Jesus. He's, he's better yeah, than yeah, Jesus, he's he's some people would yeah, say. Exactly. Jesus never had to deal Jesus with did. underwater boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upside, all upside down. You wouldn't find Jesus playing um, jungle music at three in the morning. That's right. Rogo leads the remaining survivors, Manny, Martin, Nonny, Susan, and Robin, through the watertight doors and into the propeller shaft tunnel. They hear a noise from outside and bang on the hull to attract attention. The rescuers cut through the hull, assist the six survivors from the ship, inform them that no one else survived, and fly them to safety. Our, the final shot is just this helicopter leaving the upturned boat. Mm. But because, I mean, it's like a $4.7 million budget, you don't see my, you just see no, you the top see the boat. of yeah, the yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah. They can't pull back. Like nowadays, they pull back and you'd be like, holy yeah, shit, yeah, it's just on your... the upside down boat in the ocean. I mean, it, like, the, it, it yeah, goes to show scene. like how amazing the uh, final shot in something like The Abyss was for when mm. they made it. Do you remember the final shot in The Abyss? No. You've got your, like, so the giant kind of underwater UFO slash underwater city thing mm. rises up underneath the boat. And uh, you just got this giant structure in the middle of the ocean with a boat on top of it. Um, but like... The, that's James Cameron. There though. you go. That's James Cameron for you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's the end of the film. I will certainly never watch this again. I I'd watch it again if it was on. I had a lot of fun. With it's it. a very it's a Sunday afternoon type film for sure. I'm glad I've seen it. Well, I'm glad I now remember it very clearly. But yes, it wasn't. Uh, it's not my favorite ever film. I think it might be the best of those 1970s those 1970s films that we mentioned. It's better than the the Towering Inferno, certainly. Have you you've and an earthquake? Have you seen those two? I've seen all of those films. I think I've seen Airport as well, but I can't really recall. I think I've seen like Airport 72 or whatever it's called as well, one of the sequels. So there's no reason for me to watch Towering Inferno? I wouldn't recommend it. I remember, God, what's his name from Austin Powers, number two? Who does number two work for? (laughs) He uh, jumps out of a window on fire and it looks fairly hokey. Okay. It's, uh, I mean, you kind of had me with that. I was shit. like, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> Number two is on fire. Uh, what's his name? Who does number two work for? You tell him. You That's tell him right. his boss. You, tur- you show that turd who's boss says Tom Rich. Arnold, ex-husband of Roseanne Barr. There's the full circle. Here you go. Robert, uh, Robert Wagner. That's who it was. Airport 79 is the What else is Robert Wagner in? Uh, the Towering Inferno. Harper, Pink Panther. Oh, yes, I know him from the Pink Panther. 
He's the police chief who hates Clouseau in The Pink Panther. Right? Robert Wagner was married to Natalie Wood at the time of her death. They were married twice, but I think was Natalie was, Wood again? You drowned. Oh he yes, in the, off the in, from that boat. Remember, she was in uh, West Side Story. Mm-hmm. So into the toss pick, the criteria for this time that I set was to choose something that we had oh, we've already seen. Okay, so I had loads floating around for this. I I I was tempted to pick something that we've both seen a bunch of times and would just love watching again but i went not i went for something that i would frequently cite as one of my favorite ever films but i i don't think i've seen it in like four or five years so i'm up for watching john carpenter's the thing again oh nice good i was i listened to a podcast about the thing just the other day Mm. Uh, a lot of trivia about it so i've got a lot of thing trivia floating around in my head what's the name of that i keep i was meaning to to go through that uh, the, what's the name of that that'll uh, be good walking material for later today blank check that's right yeah and they, they're doing the whole carpenter career yeah yeah this in the mouth of madness is the the latest episode that they just put out i remember fucking loving the thing so um it's one of my favorite mm. films without doubt mm. so i'd be and i haven't seen it in a few years so i haven't seen it in maybe four or five years but i've seen it numerous times but i would always i always enjoy watching it yeah, yeah look how look how excited we both are for something of guaranteed quality well <laughs> go on what's I, yours? I uh i chose something i've seen many times before i chose one of my favorite films of all time it could be it's up there it's can one I guess? of my f- if you can guess this i will be massively shocked in bruges no okay it is uh it's much older okay it's uh alfred hitchcock psycho no. The birds? No. Jesus. Uh, no, it's not Jesus. <laughs> not Jesus. North uh. by Northwest? No. That's funny. And it's Shadow of a Doubt? No. Uh, Notorious? No. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, it's one of my favorite films of all time. I think it might be one of the great. It might be the uh, best film ever. Family Plot? No. The Man Who Knew Too Much? No. The 39 Steps? No. Oh, go on. Tell me. Vertigo. All right, okay. All right. I've only ever seen that once. Ah, I, I absolutely love Vertigo. Mm. I, it's, it's one of my favorite Voted the uh, greatest film of all time in the critics and directors uh, sight and sound poll in 2012, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, when I yeah. watched it originally. Well, that's if you've only seen Vertigo once, I think you should rewatch it anyway, because I just think it's I'm I always it's planning great. to rewatch everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I hope to. Uh, wow, cool. Okay. I don't care it's a who side wins. of Andy I, I've not seen before. Well, I, what do you mean? Well, like liking a classic yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I genuinely love Vertigo. I love Something everything about old. it. I've probably seen it about five times, but I'd love to rewatch it. All right. Well, um, I got coins here. Yeah, I think you should toss this time because I feel like I did it last time. Okay. So I got a one or I got the one you're going to pick, which is a big fat head. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the fat head. <laughs> All right, here we go. And uh, I don't know. Let's just sit here for a while. Okay. See what happens. (laughs) I see. All right. Fair play. I'm going to be watching John Carpenter. There's the thing for those who did not recognize the last lines of that film. I'm not disappointed, but maybe I'll just watch Vertigo on my own time. (laughs) I kind of think I might as well. Yeah. Could do a special. Um, All right. That's all right. We're watching the thing. For uh, regular listeners to the podcast, many of whom are uh, friends of mine from my hometown, I know, uh, we'll have a. 
a, a cool special announcement soon, I feel, I hope. Anything to add, Andy? Looking forward to the thing? Yeah, Bob, would you like to know the criteria for next oh, time? Oh, of course. I always forget about the fucking criteria. So the criteria for next time is, this is quite an, a, a strange one, maybe a bit of a change of pace here. A martial arts movie. A film involving martial arts or okay. marital arts. All right. Let's go for martial arts in some way. Wait, is it marital arts or martial arts we're going with? <laughs> martial, oh, martial. Martial arts, okay. Martial, but spelling M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. Okay, yeah. It's art by someone called Marshall. Nice. I'll <laughs> take it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Eight Mile. So, I've already yeah, seen yeah, it. Yeah, Marshall Mathers or Frank Marshall. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I think I've kind of got mine yeah probably. i think i've got mine as well okay so no worries and uh i feel like i hope you win because i feel like i could guess <laughs> yours already you and i, I see know that film yeah, again. yeah 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 <laughs> you know what it is already so it doesn't matter all right <laughs> yeah yeah all right cool well uh till next time fuckers i love you bye Night, we have a chance to find the sunshine let's keep on looking for